this is a sign that both central banks and retailers are starting to get the picture that the dollar will not survive for much longer. Well, hello there, my friends. Rafi here from The Endgame Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. It's a new year, and I wanted to talk about something involving gold, which will have effects on silver. And by the way, The Endgame Investor is now on Substack. That is where I'm publishing now. And if gold is stacking, then silver is substacking. Coincidence? I think so. But anyway, if any of you are wondering, yes, I do personally believe that 2024 will be the year of the endgame, but I'm not hanging my emotions or my sanity on it in the sense that if it doesn't happen, I won't be crushed. I will continue to stack. But I do intellectually believe that this year will be the year of the final financial crisis. And we'll get into that in a second. I wanted to talk today about gold because something happened in 2023 in the gold market that is very important that almost nobody is actually pointing out. And I will show you the shape on a chart. There's 1,200 tons of gold missing somewhere and they either went to central banks or to stackers or to both, probably to both. In what proportions, I don't know. But this is a sign that both central banks and retailers are starting to get the picture that the dollar will not survive for much longer. Anyway, let's get into the slides and begin this year off with a bang. This week's Silver Report is brought to you by Fortuna Silver Mines, symbol FSM. And though their name is Fortuna Silver Mines, at this point, they are primarily a gold mining company. But silver is still second in command here in terms of sales, 15% versus 78% for gold, but I expect that to radically shift as the 15 to 1 historic monetary ratio gets reestablished once the dollar dies as the primary gold derivative of the world. I expect FSM to be half silver miner, half gold miner in terms of revenues, and that should greatly increase its profitability. One of the reasons why I like FSM and why I am a shareholder is that in case the end game is still another year or two away, we have the stability of gold miners here. And in the case that it hits this year, then we have plenty of silver to be mined here. And once that ratio falls to 15 to 1 or around it, 20, 25, whatever it is, it's now somewhere around 80, then FSM's bottom line will be greatly improved. Whether or not the end game happens this year or next, I believe it is one of the more stable gold and silver stocks to own. But of course, do your due diligence and do your own research. Now, what I'm going to do here is show you a chart, the same chart in three different slides, but different perspectives on it. This is total gold holdings, total transparent gold holdings on a monthly chart. Transparent gold holdings means uh, the amount of gold that are in transparent funds like GLD, like the COMEX, like anything that can be accounted for where we know the gold is, whether it's unallocated accounts or, uh, or ETFs or holdings, uh, let's say the Perth Mint or whatever it is that people might want to buy gold with. So this is that. 
And what we can see here is going back all the way to 1974, and in gold was only legalized for ownership that wasn't in jewelry form, which is really pretty stupid. I mean, if you can own gold jewelry, you can own gold. So outlawing gold in monetary form, you can't have it in a coin, but you can have it in a necklace. I mean, how stupid is that? It's pretty damn dumb, which shows you the insanity of monetary policy, that they don't let you have a coin, but they let you wear a ring. Like, what the hell is the difference? A donut or a Bialy? Would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? <laughs> it's raining again. Anyway. I'm getting ahead of myself here. 1974, December 31st, 1974 was when futures gold trading was legalized and they used this mechanism to control the gold price through derivatives. So anyway, you see here the yellow line and the blue line. The yellow line is the gold uh, value in dollars and the blue line is the amount of gold, the tons stored in transparent funds across the world. Now, what you see here from 1974 until 2020 is that the two lines are basically in tandem, more or less. It really picks up around 2005 when the GLD ETF is founded. Until then, owning gold in paper form or in derivative form was not that popular. Uh, but we still see it pretty much goes in line even before 2005 with the founding of the GLD ETF. Uh, and then at 2005, the blue line, the tonnage of gold held in transparent funds across the world, goes up along with the gold price. Uh, but we see something changing in 2022, to be precise, and we will zoom in there. You can see where the yellow line and the blue line intersect. That means the gold price is rising but the amount of holdings of physical gold in funds across the world is falling. And that has been the case since November, 2022. The question is why? Now let's zoom in on this chart a little bit. And we have the same thing counting from 2005 until today. So this really is the first divergence ever. You can see here the two lines pretty much going in tandem uh, proportionally to each other till we get to 2020 over here. And then at 2022, these lines diverge for good and they have not reconverged since then. We have a discrepancy here, meaning the price of gold is going up, trending higher and higher and higher, which it will continue to do. But the amount of gold holdings in paper funds across the world keeps falling. I expect this to continue. Now let's go to another zoom in and you'll see what's happening here in close quarters. So somewhere around in this little box here, this little rectangle that I drew, somewhere around November 2022, uh, gold really took off here from a bottom of, I think it was 1618. There was like a little triple bottom over here and gold started to climb really quickly, but the paper funds did not store any more gold. So what it looks like is that paper interest or retail interest in gold funds started to die off over here and has been dying off ever since. Now, with this calculation on top, there's about 1,200 tons unaccounted for. Uh, and I calculated that by uh, calculating the percentage of how much the gold price rose since this bottom over here until now. And 
uh, calculating what a, a, an equivalent amount of gold would have to be if there was equivalent interest in the paper funds from then until now. And I calculated about 1,200 tons. So that means about 1,200 tons of gold should be in the paper funds, mostly GLD, somewhat COMEX, uh, but they aren't. If there are 1,200 tons unaccounted for, the question is, where the hell are they? And you could say, oh, maybe they're in central banks. But I looked at the central bank buying over the last few years, and though it has increased since 2020 substantially, there has been substantial purchases by central banks of gold since 2011. And if central banks are buying gold from the ETFs and other paper funds, that wouldn't make much sense because then the ETFs and other paper funds would have fallen even starting in 2011, but they grew from since 2011 until 2020. So these 1,200 tons are not chiefly going to central banks. I think they're going to retailers because if somebody buys a few ounces of gold, say from Miles Franklin or whatever, then it's not accounted for in transparent funds because nobody knows that you actually have it. It's private. I think somewhere around 1,200 tons of gold have gone into private hands, not into paper funds, out of the ETFs since 2020. That means the stackers are accumulating, and that is a good sign. And I wanted to pay attention here to specifically the 200-week moving average of the ratio between silver and the CRB. The CRB index is general commodities, and silver obviously is silver. And if this ratio is trending higher, that means silver is rising relative to other commodities. And this has been the case despite the volatility that we've seen, the extreme volatility we've seen, especially since 2008. And that's because of the inflationary and deflationary panics that have been encountered as this money printing scheme since 1933 has spun out of control. But I know, I understand, and I am part of this frustration, I understand that the silver price can be extremely volatile and frustrating, but if we just look at the 200-week average here, meaning the line of silver relative to other commodities, we see that inexorably the value of silver is rising relative to other commodities, and this means that the moneyness of silver is gradually being revealed. And we know silver's behavior that that moneyness, the monetary nature of silver gets revealed very quickly in only a matter of months, as we saw in 1979 to 1980, as we saw in 1918 to 1919, as we saw in 1967 to 1968. When it starts, it doesn't take longer than a year, which is why you should be ready now because 2024 could be the year. Here is one reason why I say this. If you look at the yield curve inversion, meaning the spread between 10-year yields and three-month yields, the long-term and the short-term, once this monetary curve is inverted, goes below zero and the zero mark is over here, you can see I put red boxes and rectangles where it is inverted, where the spread between 10-year yields and three-month yields is below zero. This is the longest time ever that uh, yields have been below zero, that the spread between these yields have been below zero ever. In 2000, it was seven months that caused uh, monetary deflation, which caused a recession, which caused the dot-com bubble burst, etc., which led ultimately to the 2008 financial crisis centered on housing. Here, the uh, yield curve spread was below zero. The spread between 10-year and three-month yields was below zero, meaning three-month yields were above 10-year yields for 11 months straight. And that was the longest until that point. And now we have 
They are below zero for 13 months. I measured this is by far the longest yield curve inversion in history, and it will continue like this probably for another few months until the Fed switches from QT to QE, and I will show you why they're about to do that. Here we have the repo market, the repo market volume. And why is this significant now? Because the year end turn is over, which means that the spikes that generally happen at year ends should be subsiding by now. It's already January 4th, and they have not at this point in the repo market. This number where you see $1.832 trillion here in this corner is the third highest repo market volume ever. And we're still at an elevated 5.39%. The high was 5.4% on the year-end turn. We haven't moved down much, which means there's still a lot of stress in the repo market. And that means that there are a lot of institutions that are demanding a lot of dollars to continue their overnight loans, to continue whatever trade that they're locked into that they can't escape from. And they need those dollars to continue to leave those trades open. The problem here is that the Fed continues to shrink its balance sheet. And by shrinking its balance sheet with quantitative tightening, they are reducing the money supply. And when you reduce the money supply, but the repo market continues to have elevated volume, at some point there aren't enough dollars to loan out overnight in the repo market. And you have these two forces headed in opposite directions with the Fed shrinking the money supply, but the repo market demanding more and more dollars. At some point, that ends up with a repocalypse, just like it did in 2019. And once this repocalypse hits, and I don't know when exactly, but I am confident in saying that it will be at some point this year, probably early when the reverse repos run out, which means when the spare dollars that are still in the tank, about 700 billion left, when those are all borrowed up and sucked up by the treasury, which has inordinate amounts of appetite for debt, and it can never be satisfied when those dollars run out, there will probably be a apocalypse and we will see the final transition from QT, quantitative tightening, to quantitative easing. And from there, we will slip in to the end game, in my view. If in your view, there's still some more time, then there's no need to panic. But I would be ready for the end game to happen in 2024. Whether you personally believe that it will hit in 2024 or not, it is wise to be ready that in case it does, you won't panic. This is Rafi of the Endgame Investor, wishing all of you a great 2024. I think it will be tumultuous, but hopefully you will be insulated and there will be the least number of casualties possible. Have a good week, everyone, and God bless.